Hello and welcome to the Cloyster Bell podcast presented by Rob and Liam. Today we will be discussing the third season opener from 2007, Smith and Jones. The TARDIS Cloyster Bell. Imminent disaster. Cloister Bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the Cloister Bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The Cloister Bell? Oh, no. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Liam, and I'm not alone. I'm joined by Rob. Hi, Rob. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Not bad, thanks. Not bad. <laughs> you... <laughs> Yeah, not bad. <laughs> not great. Yeah, not but great, not but not bad. Uh, I think that's the best we can uh, we can hope for in uh, times like this. Um, as uh, I feel silly asking this, have you been up to much? Um, well, I've watched a lot since we last recorded. All right, okay. What have you been watching? Does that count? Yeah, yeah I suppose well, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I watched. Well. I've watched what everyone else has probably watched. Everyone but you, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I've watched um, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, have you seen that yet? No? <laughs> you guessed correctly, put it that way. <laughs> no. Um, so I think whether you think it's good or bad, uh, it's... I think that it's a pretty significant piece of cinema, I guess, because um, there's nothing else quite like it in this scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know the whole story behind it, Liam? Um, I think I do, but <laughs> but remind me. Well, um, Zack Snyder directed Man of Steel, mm-hmm. Batman vs Superman, and he was in the middle of. Justice League, I think it was due 2017, 2016 time, and due to a family tragedy, he left the project, and Joss Whedon, famous for Buffy, Firefly, um, directed the first two Avengers films, he was brought in, and he um, substantially changed the plot, um, rewrote a lot of it, reshot a lot of it. So when Justice League did come out, it wasn't very good. Right. <laughs> and it left people thinking, what was the original vision meant to be? Mm-hmm. It did abandon some of the subplots from Batman vs Superman, which is quite frustrating. There was obviously like a direction here. And instead we were left with, I mean, a decent piece of storytelling. It had to be in middle and end. It was all right, but it wasn't great. Well, it was some of the characterization was very poor, um, and it left everyone wondering: Oh, is there a, a Snyder cut to the movie, a director's cut, uh, which was denied quite a lot? And mm-hmm. then, and then, more recently, mid twenty nineteen, probably um, confirmed it did exist, and ultimately, Warner Brothers met with Zack Snyder, and he showed them. A rough cut of the film, minus all the visual effects, more or less, um, and then they agreed to um, let him finish the film, and it was released d- 
digitally on the new streaming service HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Um, this film is well, the original theatrical cut is regarded as canon as far as Warner Brothers are concerned. Right. I think narratively, the films that came after the original Justice League, Aquaman in particular, mm-hmm. it did abandon some of the things that would have been in the original cut and established its own kind of law. And for that reason, you can't take this new director's cut and simply replace it with the original. So narratively, it causes a branch. Right, okay. I didn't um, I didn't know most of that but thanks for the reminder. I I I had thought that Snyder had um left the project originally. I didn't realize it was due to um unfortunate circumstances. I thought it was because of some silly sort of I thought it was due to s- s- some silly business between the uh the production company uh and him and disagreements and then he walked off. I don't know where I've got that from, but for some reason that was my perception. I didn't realise it was due to... No, it was a, it was a bad tragedy. I'll mm. I'll not get into it on the podcast, um, but of course you can, you can go and look it up. Um, but it's just very unfortunate. Obviously, um, what was going on in his life was more important than the film. Yes, so, yeah, yeah. Um, he walked, walked away from that, understandably. Um, and years later, he came back to it and he's delivered... His vision, um, with an estimated in between, well, they were they said something like an extra thirty million, but I think an extra seventy million went into the um, the new post production of the film. Right. Okay. Um, and a lot of this this included bringing back the cast, um, which at one point you would have thought they'd be reluctant to return, Ben Affleck, for example, uh, and all the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Jared Leto as the Joker from Suicide Squad. Ah, right, okay. Um, there wasn't a substantial amount of new scenes, but the everything overall, the film runs at four hours long. So it's quite a long film. Mm. Um, the film is presented in a four by three aspect ratio. Oh. Oddly enough. Mm, okay. Um, reasons for this, Zack Snyder has said... He's fell in love with the format, but uh, and also it's quite fitting that it's released for TV and it's in four by three. But uh, <laughs> yeah, one of the main reasons for keeping that aspect ratio is that it was shot in widescreen. Uh, sorry, no, <laughs> it was, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it was shot in IMAX, and I don't know too much of the technical aspects of that, but the IMAX IMAX cameras shoot in 4 by 3 or more of a square ratio and releasing it in 4 by 3 he's actually retained more of the footage rather than cropping it oh i did i did not know that right okay yeah right so had it been cropped to 16 by 9 or worse like cinema kind of wideness mm. it would have lost a lot of the a lot of the footage over 50% right okay all oh, right okay um, it is an odd choice, you know. There's, a, I like I like old shows that are in four by three. I you know I want put them on. I don't even blink. I don't, it doesn't occur to me that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Kind of compared to my new, compared to a widescreen TV, but it kind of it feels odd watching a brand new film shot like that. But yeah, um, 
Yeah, it, once you get into it, you don't even notice. Unless you've got like a tiny, tiny TV and you're like, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> you get the microscope. Uh, yeah, microscope out. Yeah. All right, yeah. okay. That's uh, interesting. I do know that, um, fr- from what I can gather, a lot of fans seem to be very pleased with it and have enjoyed yeah. it and, and have said it is a huge improvement um, to the original that was released. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, whether you think it's good or bad, um, there's a lot to like. Fair enough, there's probably a lot to dislike. Maybe the length of it. Um, some people might think, God, it's so long. Or some scenes or sequences you might think possibly a bit a bit overstretched because if this was released at the cinema, you might feel that the pacing's all wrong. But um, in this new way it's been presented, it it's presented in, in its entirety and you can watch it at your own pace. Mm-hmm. So I think... From my perspective, it's just like appreciate getting it all that's there rather than having it cut down for pacing reasons. Um, but that said, the pacing doesn't seem too bad. Um, another interesting fact, HBO Max has just released a black and white version. Uh, I don't think we've got it internationally yet. <laughs> but uh, all right. also, Any particular reason for that? No, I think it's just Zack Snyder kind of indulging himself in the in the platform he was able to. Um, black and white doesn't necessarily mean they've turned it down, turned the colour down Mm. Uh, with high definition and 4K offers you extremely broad contrast between black and white so um, there's there's a thing oh yes uh, Mad Max Fury Road I was just about to mention that yeah 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 Blood and Chrome Edition Mm -hmm. Um, that's a similar example I don't know if it's as the picture is as good as that, mm-hmm. but um, see, maybe it is. Um, yeah, so that's also out there. Um, but yes, I think the film's a huge improvement over the theatrical version. It's it's pretty much the same narrative, but the characters are improved. Victor Stone, uh, who is Cyborg, um, he not only has a backstory, but this really defined character arc in the original he wasn't um steppenwolf the villain um is one of the considerable differences here um the original was a kind of a mocked cgi looking bloke um the new one is a this really good cgi slash motion capture um rendering and this guy has a backstory um, he has motives. Um, he's more humanized, you know, even though he's an alien. Hmm. Um, the original villain in the film, same character, but it was just really flat. He was just there to be bad. All oh, right, okay. Um, I don't really want to go into it too much because uh, this isn't a DC podcast, and <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for anyone. No, no, that's, that's um, fair enough. Go and uh, if you've got four hours to spend and. You kind of in the DC. Go check it out. <laughs> no, it sounds like a good recommendation. And uh, so, other than that, watching anything else or being up to anything else? Ooh, uh, oh, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a new Marvel show, mm-hmm. um, which is on stream stream platform Disney Plus. Um, three episodes in. Have you seen any of the um, reactions to that? Uh, no, no, I haven't. No, 
All right, okay. Well, um, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> right, okay. I don't. I really don't want to go into spoilers. Yeah, you know, if, if you if people like it, I guess they'll go see it. Yeah. Uh, I've also watched. There's a series called Twenty Four. I think most people will be aware of. Um, with um, Keitha Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a the final series with him was a special called Twenty Four Live Another Day. It came out years and years ago. Mm. It's the one series that I just didn't get around to watching. I've finally watched it. It was good. Um, Twenty Four Hours over a twelve episode series, but somehow it kind of fits. All right. Um, <laughs> it was good. Sasha Dewan was in it. Ah, right, okay. Um, it was an interesting character. He was kind of... Uh, well, the whole concept of the show is it's this counter-terrorist unit and Sasha Dewan, um he's kind of married into this family and he's kind of... Uh, he, they've hijacked these American drones uh, but he doesn't want to... He kind of thinks, well, I don't want to go through with these attacks but then he's kind of persuaded to in an interesting way so um, yeah a good uh, a good character for Sash Dewan if, if you haven't seen that mm-hmm. uh, I also watched 24 Legacy which was a spin off of 24 um, what else have I seen oh I started season 3 of Stranger Things again <laughs> Uh because I've seen that when it came out and just started that this week as well. Ah, right, okay. Um, it's a bit weird, I'd, especially considering that we do a podcast dedicated entirely to a, a television show. I'm watching less and less television. Um, oh, right. Uh, and I've got, you know, I've got um, got friends who are recommending television programs. Who's go, oh, you watch this and watch it. And it's just, uh, I'm just becoming less interested with television um, for some reason. Um, but in terms... But you know, I'll, I'll, I'll watch something now and again. But I, I tend to be wanting to watch films a lot more. So uh, I rewatched uh, the 1989 Batman movie. I'd only wa- I watched it again a few weeks ago, but I decided to watch it again. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got this idea. Whether I do it or not, Rob, I don't know. But I've got this idea that I would like to do uh, a podcast on f- just me doing film reviews. So uh, yeah. I rewatched Batman. Thinking, well, review. I watched that yesterday on my phone. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um, funny enough, I don't know what it is. It's sort of uh, I rewatched Batman '89 because one, I, I love the film, I enjoy it. But thinking in the back of my head, you know, do this this podcast thing. Uh, I had another friend out of the blue just saying he was suddenly in the mood to watch it, and and then you're saying you've just watched it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I watched it on because uh, I got uh, now TV. Mm-hmm. Because it had Sky Movies on, and I had to get it to watch Justice League, so I've got like a month of that, uh, and I was kind of going through, and I, yeah, I watched that. Well, I was going to put Batman Returns on, mm. but I thought, you know what? I think the original's better. <laughs> All right, okay. I don't know, but um, I've I usually favour the sequel, but in comparison, I was thinking, yeah, I think I favour the original. Oh, okay. I mean, I love them both. And the thing is with with Batman is because that's the very first film that I fell in love with. And I was thinking about it, well, uh, and I worked out that um, I watched it when... Because the very first memory that I ever had of going to the cinema was t- to go and see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and I know that I saw... I went to see that film before I got into Batman. That was released in the UK in November 1990. 
I remember, I'm going around the houses, but basically I, I worked it out that I must have got Batman as a as a Christmas present on VHS when I was three years old. Even, uh-huh. even though it was a certificate 15 VHS back in the day. Um, but anyway, absolutely love that film. But even though I still love it and I still think it's good, I do think Batman Returns is the better movie. I mean, I still like them mm-hmm. both. It's, you know, yeah. um, but I think my preference is probably Batman Returns. Yeah. I've always thought returns, but uh, I don't know why. Yesterday, I was starting to reevaluate the first one. No, no, no. Fair enough. I mean, it's uh, it's not just because I prefer the other. Just mean that I think the other one's absolutely yeah. a stinking pile of crap. No, I like them both. Yeah. But um, so anyway, watch that. Uh, I've been re- I've been reading uh, an awful lot of sort of uh, political action thrillers. So I've read the first three novels of Stella Remington, which. Um, Plot-wise, they're not the most imaginative, but they're written really well, and it was just great just to pick up, a, you know, pick up books and just blitz through them and just enjoy the story. And uh, and years ago, I got into the uh, American writer Vince Flynn, um, uh, who unfortunately died a few years back as well. Um, anyway, I decided I'll go back and reread his his novels, and they are oh, they're, they're really cracking good. Um, political espionage thrillers uh i was reading the third option um and you're reading it and it's it's very well plotted and even though that these are they were set in when you know set in the period that they were published they haven't dated uh that much actually which is quite surprising apart from one or two things so i was reading the third option and there's a bit in it where um they're trying to track somebody down by using his mobile phone. And the tech guy is explaining how uh, mobile towers work and how they ping. And obviously reading that in 2021 going, I, th- I think you'll find I know how this works. Um, I was just going, hang on, when was this book published? Of course, oh, of course, it was 2001. Oh, right. Yeah, that's why now, you know, they would have had to, you know, he, I mean, it's not laboured on and it, it's explained pretty well, but obviously reading reading it now, it, you know, it stands out. And, um, but anyway, I've been, in, you know, enjoying that. And um, uh, as listeners will know, I, I, I bought the season eight Blu-ray box set um, and got that when it came out. So I've been go- slowly going through that. And finally, I've reached the demons. So I just, I finished watching episode three earlier today. And actually, uh, because... The Demons has been one of those stories where I think because it's, it's it's a big fan favourite and it, it's it's seen as like one of the best, if not the best of the Pertwee era by a lot of people, which I've never understood. But watching it now, um, I mean, I still think an, uh, there's an element of it. I still think it is overrated, but I'm enjoying it a lot more this time round. Um, so that's really good. Talking about the Blu-ray box sets because we got some some Doctor Who news, which has um, came out. Not that all that not all that long ago uh one of them is is that the blu-ray box sets um are going to be re-released as standard releases so um that's good news uh they're going to be starting off with season 12 and season 19 you can pre-order them now if you wish and they're going to come out on the 31st of may Uh um right that's really soon i wonder if they'll rush them out or pace them yeah, that's a thing. Um, so, with the with the limited edition, which has been the, the the ones that have come out so far, they're they're in a um, they're in an actual box. 
Um, whereas with these standard releases, they'll be in a slipcase. But in terms of the design, so uh, in terms of they'll still have the booklet, they'll still have the same images on the on the on the front of the box and on the uh, and the the CD artwork. All that remain the same, and the content is exactly the same. Yes. So re- I think the booklet may be cut down slightly. Oh, size wise, uh, to fit in, yeah, possibly. Um, but otherwise, it's. Otherwise, it's the same. Uh, and funny enough, in our, in our previous podcast, we we were talking about this, um, and, and you had asked me, would I be bothered if um, if they'd released them as standard releases so people would have access to them? And, and 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 no, I was just thinking it's a shame that there isn't an option for for fans to you know to, to access that material because it's 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 really rather good. And finally, there's going to be that option. Um, I'm having a look at the price, uh, having a having a look at the prices now, and I, th- the prices may come down, so do be aware of that. But the prices that I've seen quoted so far is that it's going to be fifty pounds a box. Yeah, it's you'd imagine if for a typical box set, you'd imagine the price would drop significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not that will be the, the case here, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think they may come down. I mean, they ought to because. Uh, I've forgotten how much I bought the Season 12 box set, but it was cheaper than £50. And if that's the limited edition one, and then the standard edition's more than that, (laughs) hang on, a bit of a rip-off. But at least... It's a tough one. When you you compare how much you'd spend on a season Mm. uh, of individual DVDs... Yes, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's a similar kind of price. In fact, it's better value for money probably to get the Blu-rays. Yes, and obviously keeping in mind as well is that... these are they've restored them again so it's not just simply the restorations that were on the dvds they have restored them further and then you're having all the special features that were on the previous releases plus brand new ones as well um so there's all that and then also the other thing as well is um there isn't the time pressure because these are standard releases they're not limited edition you don't have to sort of sort of like panic buy them which you have to do with the limited edition ones, where as soon as you announced, you know, for mm-hmm. the love of God, you pre-order it straight away. These ones, you should be able to uh, be a bit more relaxed about it. So I think it's good news. Yeah, I'd imagine it might cause a bit of frustration for people like yourself buying the collector's editions who have felt the pressure to buy them for a large amount of money, just to, in the. <laughs> They might have wished they'd held off and got the standard edition, possibly. <laughs> uh, possibly. I mean, but I um, I, I'm not too bothered by it. I, I'm just actually pleased that uh, the options there for 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 as many fans as possible to access this material, because I, I do think it is is you know if if you do love Doctor Who and to to get these stories looking as the best that they can with all these new special features and. Uh, you know, th- uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm I'm not that fussed by it. I think it's it's great that the options there. Actually, there is one thing as well. I mean, really, you could say people in my position who have been fortunate enough to buy the limited edition versions, we've we've had the opportunity to you know we're sort of like paying the premium price to maybe watch it uh, earlier than others. Yeah. But yeah. one thing I will say is that. An awful lot of love and dedication has gone into these box sets, which is amazing. But the, the content, the content, yeah. But there is a little. I just wish that there'd been a little bit more quality control. There's just been a couple of mistakes in terms of the packaging. Uh, 
Um, and just one or two things. So, for example, um, last month I was re-watching The Three Doctors, obviously on the season 10 box set. And I was watching it with the production subtitles. And there were some spelling mistakes and some words were where the letters were missing. So instead of the, you had he. Um, I do... So One thing is just... It, in terms of the re-release, I hope that, that these little, that sort of like these minor things are corrected. So actually, mm. uh, if you do, if they are corrected and you are getting the standard releases, you're actually probably getting the best version of them if those things have been corrected. Yeah. But it's it, you know it's still good material. Um, yeah. The other news is that we knew for a while uh, that Christopher Eccleston was going to be returning to playing the role of the Doctor via big finish and finally we've you know we got more information and we had the, the the trailer drop for that have you listened to that yet yes i have yeah that looks pretty cool mm. his um initially um i kind of sense something new in his character and i wonder if his approach um is a bit different but i'm just excited to see what new he brings or mm. Also, what how much of the old he kind of brings to it? If there's a different kind of energy to it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I listened to that trailer, and it just sounded it just sounded great. And it was it was like, wow, it's Chris Eccleston playing the Doctor again. Um, we knew he was coming back, but actually, finally hearing these little snippets, it was uh, it, it was good stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, the first box set's actually out in May. Mm-hmm. Um, next, and then. This next one's out August. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll have a discussion about whether or not we'll dive into that sooner than later. But potentially, mm-hmm. if we do choose to look at that. Yeah, and um, I mean, I like I like Big Finish, um, but I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm quite particular with regards to is that a story that I'm going to be interested in buying or not. But I mean, here, I mean, uh, here in Christopher Eccleston playing the doctor in that trailer uh, uh, along with everything else that we hear it, it does sound really rather good and i think i will probably buy it and i think one of the selling points as well i mean it's that they're original stories for one but in terms of classic villains we're gonna hear his doctor encounter the cyber mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty cool mm. So anyway, so Smith and Jones, so the plot synopsis, Martha Jones, a trainee doctor, finds trouble waiting for her at work when the hospital she works at is transported to the moon. Everyday, uh, everyday occurrence. Trapped with space rhinos known as the Jadoon, looking for a blood-sucking criminal who was stopping nothing to survive and the air is running out, she is forced to trust a seemingly mad stranger calling himself the Doctor. So the cast and crew, David Tennant, naturally plays the Doctor, Frieger, Frieger, what? (laughs) Freema Eggman plays Martha Jones. Anne Reed plays Florence Finnegan. Uh, Anne Reed had played Nurse Crane in the Sylvester McCoy story The Curse of Fenric. Roy Marsden plays Mr. Stoker. And members of Martha's family, and I can't be bothered to go through them, to be perfectly honest. We'll get into why later. Directed by Charlie Palmer. He would go on to direct The Shakespeare Code, Human Nature, Family of Blood, Oxygen, and The Eaters of Light. The story was written by Russell T. Davis and it was produced by Phil Collinson and the music was by Murray Gold. Now, um, yes. first of all, the reason why I want to say is why did I pick Smith & Jones? For, why? Yeah, why? It's a good question, Rob. Um, so, th- 
Is it because this lines up with a certain anniversary? No, that's actually completely coincidental. Um, but you actually pointed that out to me earlier this week, which was that uh, by the time we were reviewing this, um, the story's actually reached its anniversary. Uh, well, it's 14th anniversary, is that correct? Yes. So you haven't been planning this 14 years in the making. No, it's <laughs> just coincidence. It, it, it is generally a coincidence. Um, so when we were... Because our previous podcast, we we picked a story uh, you chose, which was Boomtown, and it was so we had this sort of loose idea of picking stories that we feel is underrated for one reason or another, and uh, we reviewed Boomtown and we really enjoyed that. And I was thinking, well, um, what will my story be? And I had a couple of choices, and I decided to choose Smith and Jones. And the reason for that is because um, it holds a, an odd place in terms of my appreciation of New Doctor Who. So. When the show came back in 2005, I kind of liked it, but not as much as I really wanted it. As not as not as much as I really wanted to. Um, you know, I, I thought you know this, this series was relatively good for one reason or but there was always something that I didn't particularly like. Um, you know, but I thought the show was slowly getting better. And then when Aliens of London World War Three was broadcast, I really t- took exception to that story. I really didn't like it. And then at that, from that point on, it was just. Oh, I mean, I was still watching it because at the end of the day, I still wanted to like the show. But for for one reason or another, the show really wasn't clicking with me. And then, um, then David Tennant became the Doctor. And then, because it was you know second year into the revival, um, there was a new Doctor in tow. It sort of relit further interest in the show. And then as, as time was going on, it, it was getting more and more popular, which was nice to see. But uh, again, the show wasn't really clicking with me for some reason. I mean, that isn't to say that there weren't stories that I enjo- I didn't enjoy. I did. I mean, I remember The Girl in the Fireplace I, I thought was uh, was you know, very good. Um, but the, the show on the whole, uh, I d- it, it just lacked something. Uh, the Runaway Bride, I thought, was tremendously entertaining. And I enjoyed that. And I actually wanted... Um, Catherine Tate to become a regular which I think at that point I was probably the only person who thought that um, but I remember th- you know really really enjoying that story but it was when season 3 started it was 2007 at this point and I remember watching Smith and Jones and something clicked uh, whilst watching this and then I suddenly felt that I got new Doctor Who. I, I don't know what it is. Something just fell into place. I felt like I got it. And then from that point on, yes, there may be stories that I thought I didn't like or there were stories that I did like, but I wasn't as I wasn't as negative about the show as I once had been. It was just suddenly, yeah, I like new Doctor Who now. It's not a problem. And that really began with this story. I don't know why that's the case, um, because I'm not going to. I'm not going to suggest that Smith and Jones is this uh, underappreciated gem and is absolutely amazing. It's not. Uh, even at the time, I thought you know I didn't think it was just amazing, but it was just something about Smith and Jones for whatever reason. It you know things just clicked. Maybe it was because f- maybe I got used to the style of the show. Um, maybe one or two other things I'm not too sure but for some reason it began with Smith and Jones Um, so we're introduced to a new companion 
straight away. Uh, yeah, which is Martha. And like you said, we had Catherine Tate mm-hmm. in the previous episode. Is that right? Yes, uh, the uh, Runaway yeah. Bride. Yeah, but we hadn't had a, a replacement full time companion yet mm-hmm. until now. Yeah, I mean, we uh, Catherine Tate when she appeared in the Runaway Bride, I mean, she was a, you know she had had the Catherine Tate show. She was an incredibly popular uh, comedian, so. She was basically a guest star on The Runaway Bride. The idea that she would become a regular later on hadn't, you know, wasn't, hadn't been decided on. It was just she would appear as a one-off. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Martha is introduced as really being the, the proper replacement, if you like, uh, for Rose. Um, and within the first few minutes of the show, of this episode starting, you know, pretty much everything about her character is set. She's, you know, she's uh, she's very likable, um, but she's got her head screwed on. She manages to keep calm while everyone else around her is losing their head. So what it is is that she's having a telephone conversation uh, because her brother is about to celebrate his twenty first uh, birthday. Uh, so there's a big, there's going to be a big family get together, but her parents uh, have been divorced and separated for some time. Her father's going out with some some, some blonde bimbo, basically, uh, and the fact that he's bringing her along is causing people to just, you know, the whole family just, you know, have a meltdown. So she's trying to keep the peace uh, and seeming, you know, being able to to do all that. So, and then we we, we establish that uh, she's a trainee doctor. So she's intelligent. She's got a head screwed. You know, everything about that character is introduced in those first few moments as a as a way of introducing the character. Uh, it's you know, it's really rather it's it's really well done. And then yes. while she's That's on very the, quick, yeah, it is very quick. And then when she's on the telephone. Uh, the doctor just comes up, waving his tie in her face, going, look, see, and then is off. She's like, what the hell's all that about? It's obvious that there's a little bit of, of time travel thing going on, and the payoff of what that was about is going to emerge later on. So that's a bit of intrigue going, well, how's that going to play? Um, so you, the story goes at, at quite a good pace, uh, especially... You know, and we realise that there's something going on with that because not long after that, uh, Martha's going around the hospital with a with a with a group of another other trainee doctors, uh, with with the consultant, Mister Stoker, which I found out that uh, that was a li- nice little reference that Russell T Davis wrote in, because there was a character in a children's television program from the nineties called Children's Ward which, incidentally, I hated as a kid, but Russell T. Davis was involved with. And there was a character in that show called Mr. Stoker. Um, So that's him making a little sort of like nod to that. But actually, the production team thought that they were... He he was... That was a reference to Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula. Oh, right. Um, So on on his office door... Not the same thing at all. yeah, Yeah, exactly. So on the door, it's Mr. B. Stoker. Because the production team thought it was a reference to the the author of Dracula, but it's actually not. It's a reference to. I mean, I can see the I can see the connection because the uh, the villain's a bit of a bloodsucker. Yes, uh, the Florence Finnegan character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know it works, but I, I, I found that in my sort of research <laughs> for the story, which uh, which I thought was you know quite nice. Um, so they're doing the rounds, and the doctor seems to be a patient there. Um, but then things go quite odd. Um, 
the the hospital that they're in uh, is suddenly transported to the moon. How very odd. Mm. But uh, just before we go on, I was just wondering, do, do you remember mm. watching this episode when it was first broadcast? Yeah, um, I was fully watching the show at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I knew there was going to be a, everything's getting shaken up. There was a new companion coming in. There was a book that came out um, called what's it called? Made of Steel, I think it was. A Terence Dick's short book. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, featuring the Doctor and Martha mid-series. But this book came out before Smith & Jones, so it was kind of the first taste we had of Martha's character. Mm. So I remember quickly going out to, I don't know, WH Smith or somewhere and buying that and just reading that in a day. Um so but yeah, yeah, I was about, I was um I was um I remember watching it when it came out, yeah. Um quite quite vividly, yeah. Yeah, so th- when you were so you were introduced to the character in via the book first. So when you were introduced to Martha that way, I mean what were your thoughts on the character? Um I like I say I haven't read this book since seven. <laughs> yeah. So any, any perceptions there? probably merged with what i know now ah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a bit of an introduction there was even a bit of dialogue between martha and the doctor about martha's cousin adiola who worked in canary wharf and was killed <laughs> um so then we also had a similar line in smith and jones Um i thought oh it's first mentioned in the book and then the episode comes along i was like oh she mentioned it in the episode first fair enough um <laughs> yeah. I don't remember the specifics of that story. I remember it had uh, the Doctor and Martha win the Millennium Dome, which is it now the O2? Yeah. 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 Um, and at this stage, it's empty, and Martha's remembering it from her childhood, which would be the it was like 2000 uh, or before, hmm. <laughs> when it was uh, all weirdness inside. <laughs> but now the Cybermen have taken over it, and then that's kind of the, the gist of that short story. <laughs> ah, right, okay. Um, but I don't remember any of the specifics of our character there. I wonder if um, there's any kind of inconsistencies with our characterization. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe we should go back uh, and, and see. Go to read. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, as I said, so this story, as I said earlier, was directed by Charlie Palmer. And he would go on to direct The Shakespeare Code, Human Nature, Family, Blood, Oxygen and The Eaters of Light. Um I think it's safe to say what well, one. I think those stories are better than Smith and Jones, but I think it's safe to say that uh, he would improve as a director. There are moments in the story where I think I don't think the direction's awful, but I just think um, maybe some of the some of some of the extras could have been directed better. Maybe the the shots could have been tighter. Just one or two things. So. What ends up happening is that um, the hospital is surrounded by dark clouds uh, and it's it's pouring down with rain. Whereas the rest of London, it's nice. I wouldn't say sunny, but, you know, it's it's nice, decent weather and there's certainly no rain. Um, Martha's on the phone to her sister. Uh, and the sister turns the corner to see the hospital right down in front of her at the bottom of the street. And uh, she's commenting on how... You know, it's like, oh, it's really weird that the hospital's the only place surrounded by dark clouds and raining. I, I, it's it's almost comical because she seems to be the only one noticing this and that everyone else around her doesn't seem to give a toss. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, right, okay, I think that could have been a bit better. I don't know. But um, but then the the entire hospital is then transported to the moon. And this, I, I'm sorry, I know I'm supposed to um, sympathise with what's going on and everything. I couldn't help but laugh. So the hospital is transported to the moon, which is, um, I think it's safe to say is unusual. Um, bit out of the blue. Yeah, yeah. just a bit, bit, a bit out of the blue. And so obviously we get, we, we get all the, the reaction shots of all the patients and the medical staff. Oh my goodness, I just remembered where they're all screaming hysterically. Yes. I think by the sounds of it, you had the same reaction I did. Yeah. What were your thoughts, Rob? Um, yeah, bad direction, bad action. <laughs> I don't know. Were they trying to play it bad? <laughs> it was Awful. I'm sorry. Pantomime but... acting. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It, it, it's and it's not the first time this happens. We 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 get to see the the joy of this absolutely awful. Just oh, I mean, it's hysterical more than anything. Um, but yeah, just all these reaction shots of people screaming their heads off, and it's uh, it's supposed to be believable reaction. But I'm just watching it going. Oh, it doesn't seem like it. It's 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 bad. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite funny. Um, so they're on the moon and, and then we have, uh, Anne Reed, uh, playing Florence Finnegan, as, as we said before, who's this, uh, bizarre patient. It's established earlier on that, you know, she's, uh, slightly salt deficient, hence the reason why she's hospitalized, but there's nothing particularly serious, uh, going on. But, uh, we seem to be focusing her, focusing on her uh, a little bit and, uh, she seems to be... I don't know, slightly high or <laughs> just <laughs> sort of slightly off. Um, and she approaches the, the consultant, uh, Mr. Stoker, and she's accompanied by uh, what she calls her boys, which we've, which we had seen uh, in a couple of shots before. Yeah. Um, which is uh, two men in black um, leather motorcycle gear and, and a black helmet. Um, Jeez. Uh, who are they're called slabs yeah I think this episode is so bizarre because on one hand you've got the Jadun mm. who have been conceived and created for this story in particular very elaborate they've created this whole villain mm. well, not well if you call them a villain um, and then on the other hand you've got these really lazy, lazy poorly developed villains <laughs> Like the slabs, mm. and they just don't gel together. They don't, do they? It's like, it's like really great and really poor. Yeah, and obviously uh, there. I mean, this was the opening. Uh, this was the opening episode to a new season, and at this point in the show, the structure tended to be, uh, and this is throughout the Russell T. Davis era, is that the first, the first story in the season would be quite light-hearted. Uh, and then you would get to, you know, the serious, uh, you know, exciting episodes as the series progressed, obviously building up to the season finale. But the, the first episode tended to be a bit more lighthearted and uh, so on. And that respect, Smith and Jones falls into that remit. But still being Doctor Who, you want a set, you know, you want a level of threat. I think the slabs as an as an idea probably works on paper as being a cheap solution to maybe produce something that is a bit ominous yeah. um, and maybe a bit atmospheric 
whilst, you know, saving money doing it. The execution of it doesn't quite work. Um, and again, maybe it's maybe it's also just to do with the, with the direction of it, because when later on, when the Doctor and Martha are getting chased by these things, I mean, the th- uh, judging by the way that the, the slabs are running, you kind of get a sense that maybe they're trying to go for a um, Terminator 2 vibe. Mm. Yeah, that's just what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, and uh, which would it would have been great if they were able to pull that off, but um, but they don't. Mm. <laughs> but uh, on the plus side, we do get the Jadoon, which have become um, sort of they're still around. They're, they're still around. I mean, really, it's uh, they haven't appeared in that many episodes. Um, but they are very memorable, and there's a, they've sort of become a classic monster in some respects. Uh, and there's a reason for that because the, the design are good, uh, and you know they stick in your stick in your mind. And you can easily describe their space right the space rhinos. That's exactly what they look like, but it works, and they're a good design. And they're, they're sort of a very um, um, overzealous alien police force, and. What it is is that they have no jurisdiction on Earth, but they know that this hospital is housing uh, a wanted criminal. So that's why they've been a bit underhanded and actually, well, we can't act on Earth, but we can on the moon. So we've picked up this hospital and stuck it on the, you know. Although they never do that again. I think the next story, um, Prisoner of the Jadoon, it's a Sarah Jane Adventures story. Right. And the Jadoon in that story doesn't have a problem chasing a prisoner around around London. Mm, right, okay. Um, maybe there's a change of policy between the stories or something. Who maybe. Knows? Yeah. Uh, but um, but uh, they, they work. I've got to say that... So, but then what ends up happening is we, we, we then have another uh, oh my god, let's have all the extras scream and panic in a really bad way uh, again. Um mm. But there's a bit when, because at this point the the Doctor and Martha are out on the bal- on the balcony, and they've actually had this 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 nice scene, and the the Doctor seems to be quite impressed with Martha because she was going to open the windows, and then one of the Doctors is sort of panicking, going, "You let all the air out," and then she goes, "Well, they're not actually airtight. If all the air was to go, they would have gone by now." And the Doctor goes, "Yeah, that's a good point. You seem to be on the ball. I like you." Um. He's a bit harsh with the other with the other nurse when they go off to investigate. And he says, "But you can't come because you'll slow us down," which is sort she of crying. Yeah, and so she's starting to cry, which is sort of funny. But at the same time, it's like, oh, no one isn't to be a dick, doctor. Jeez, but it is mm. it is kind of funny. So I do kind of like it. Um, so they're they're out on the balcony and they're actually having this this nice moment when they're basically they're, they're talking properly to one another and they're introduce they're introducing one to the other, and it's quite mm. a nice scene. Martha remembering the events of. Uh, how her cousin died at Canary Wharf, the Doctor remembering because he was there. Um, uh, and then there's that whole thing of going, well, what you called is just the Doctor. And go, you can't just be called the Doctor. That's a title that you've got to earn. And I think that was a nice line, really nice performed. I like that scene a lot. And then the Jadoon arrive. And um, we know they're called the Jadoon because the Doctor tells us that's what they're called. Um I don't like the way... Sorry. I don't like the way David Tennant performs that bit. I mean... The direct... I think the direct... Whether it's an acting choice, I don't know. But I assume maybe he was told as a direction choice, say it with some gravitas. 
and he just goes Jadoon and uh, you know he's a, I don't know I just don't buy it <laughs> do you know what I mean um, no I'll have to um, rewatch that alright oh, okay I mean it's just one line because it, it it cuts to them looking at the space uh, the spaceships landing it cuts to the spaceships and all the Jadoon coming out then it cuts to the Doctor looking sort of like brooding and just goes Jadoon and it's just oh I'm sorry I, I just find it a bit I just find it a little bit cringy uh, and then that goes into the the Jadoon breaking it, you sort of like just storming into the hospital, and then yeah. everyone's screaming their heads off again in a completely unconvincing way. Again, I mean, it's oh, it's bad, isn't it? It's a bit cringy. It is a bit. It's not the cringiest of Doctor Who, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, the design of the ship is quite unique. How they come in, mm-hmm. kind of vertically. Um, but I think the ship was shown horizontally in um, the uh, revenge. What's the what's the the Ruth Doctor story called? Oh, uh, it's not the Prisoner of the Jadoon, is it? No, uh, no. I know which. Revenge. Obviously, I know which. No. I know which episode you mean. But yes, yes. But there's a glimpse of the the Jadoon ship shown horizontally, which makes it look different and cool as well mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's quite unique the way it comes down that way um, and they're kind of marching <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, I think actually all all that all that footage and how how they look and how they land and all the Jadun coming out I actually think it's quite a good it looks good it's quite a good shot um, even after all this time I still think uh, the CGI holds up quite well there are other shots where and I can forgive it because this is just through the passing of time but for example when we have uh, an above shot of london where the hospital once was and it's just you know it's just the whole of where it wants it the shot looks a little bit sort of ropey and you can tell it's been digitally altered to make it look that way yeah um whereas all this footage actually i still think looks quite good mm. uh and, and actually the but also there's something quite comic about the way that the Jadoons storm into the hospital. They're looking for an alien. So they're scanning everyone. And then they mark everyone as a human. And therefore they're just by putting a big flat uh, black felt Squeaky black marker, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then obviously the, the fact that there's the squeaky sound effect, it's meant to be you know quite funny. We're not supposed to take it seriously. And uh, I think it's quite that. It's that wonderful Doctor Who touch of something... Um, uh, unexpected and bizarre and doesn't quite fit yeah in, in, into what is this big science fiction world it's, there's something very I don't know what it is it's uh, only uh, there's something about I think only a British science fiction television show would, would produce something like that these big space rhinoceros, rhinoceros policemen with incredible sophisticated technology marking people with a felt tip pen on the back of their hand with a squeaky sound effect I, I quite I quite like it um uh you know, so, so you're getting all, all this going. I mean, at this point, what what are your thoughts on the episode? Um, pretty much what I summed up. Um, Jadun were great. Uh, Martha was fine. Nothing exceptional in my eyes, but, uh, you know, room to grow. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a fan of the actual villain. Sorry, I forgot her name. Flo- um, Florence Finnegan. Yeah, um, it was fine, but I wasn't really taken by that character. And then again... The slabs were pretty, pretty lazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I, um, no, no, hang on. Sorry, go on. Uh, all in all, though, the you know this 
the story kind of gets resolved near the end. Uh, I don't know. Jump there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say? No, no. I mean, this is the thing because actually, when I was when I was rewatching this, I just thought, oh, there's actually there's not very much to talk about really because the plot's incredibly straightforward. And uh, actually, there's um, I mean, one one good thing about the the episode is it moves at a very fast pace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we start. You know, we know that this Flor- Florence Finnegan character. Um, is the person that they're looking for. She's killed Mr. Stoker by suck, sucking all his blood through a straw, which is, again, mm. just a wonderful... You know, she hasn't used fangs or anything like that. She just sticks a straw in the guy's neck and then there's something darkly comic God, about that's that. a thing of the past. It's all paper straws now. <laughs> Bloody paper straws. You can't stick them in people's neck and suck their blood. What's yeah. the world coming to? Yeah, that, that's... An... Oh, You'd no. have to drink them really fast. <laughs> I'm sorry, right? I could... Right. It could get it from an environmental perspective, but in terms of a practical perspective, paper and liquid do not go. Paper no. straws are useless. So you go to the cinema. You can't go to the cinema, sorry. But it, <laughs> hypothetically, if you went to a cinema um, and you got a large drink with a paper straw, mm-hmm. you have to drink it really fast. Then you go to the toilet. <laughs> yeah, just an absolute nightmare. There's a reason why we had paper straws, people, because yeah. they worked and it was practical. Uh, and I know they're phasing out carrier bags as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I'm all for going, you know, um, almost plastic free in the supermarkets. Mm-hmm. But uh, even before they were getting phased out properly, all the scientists were saying, look, plastic bags. Are, are barely a footprint on the the, the entire um, impact that plastics having. You know, um, mm. carrier bags aren't the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not the problem. Yes, I totally agree that there's loads of plastic uh, packaging, uh, which I was talking to someone about this the other day, funny enough, and they had no idea what I was talking about. Right, see if you do, Rob. Right. You know when you would go to the supermarket and you could get packs of apples? Yes. Right, okay, which were pre-packaged, Right. Right, you know how they would be in that... You would have the apples in the tray. Yeah. Right, and obviously the whole thing would be in a plastic bag. Yeah, the, what, like the loose the loose apples are in a large plastic bag, is that what you mean? Yes, but, the, uh, but they'd place the, they'd place the apples in a plastic tray as well. Yes. Right. Now, have you ever seen it where, as well as that, they also put a sheet of plastic on top of the apples? Yeah. <laughs> Great. I was talking to someone this the other day because we were talking about you know plastic and sometimes it's a, it, the need to cut down of it is a bit silly, but also there are certain things which you know clearly weren't necessary. And I mentioned this and going, yeah, and you know when you had these packages and they had that plastic that plastic film on the top, and then we're going what? And I explained how I just explained it to you, and they went, well, they had it in my head that I've been I must have been going to like ridiculously posh supermarkets or something like that, and it's just no, I'm just talking about Morrison's. <laughs> I don't yeah. pop down to London and go to Fortman and Mason's every week for my weekly shop. This is just <laughs> normal. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's just... Anyway, that plastic film, completely pointless. Why, why was that even a thing? Well, a lot of apples... There's a, there's a lot of British apples, but some apples do come from Spain and Italy. Um, and they're packaged differently for transport, I'm guessing. I don't know. <laughs> Right. Well, whatever the reason, I think it's safe to say that that sheet of plastic wasn't needed. So I'm pleased they've got rid of that because that was just silly. But plastic yeah. straws served a purpose. And they went, no, yeah. what we'll do is we'll make paper straws. 
Yeah. No, I'm sorry, um, but they're not practical. It's one of the stupidest things ever. Um, the other day I got like a, 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 a food to go, like a pasta mm-hmm. in a tub. And I remember I used to come with like a little plastic fork. <laughs> but like uh, now there's a label on top saying normal saying it does not include fork they're going plastic free or something in this giant plastic container <laughs> I think what are you going to eat it with <laughs> just drink it oh, yeah, it's just, oh, you know just certain things are just you know use your common sense people anyway this this, yeah. this podcast has gone up on off a bit of a tangent um yeah. back to smith and jones again um yeah. well actually do people because i know you're saying that you didn't really like the villain to me actually she's the strength of the episode i mean probably a big part of it is actually to do with the fact that florence finnegan is playing by is played by Anne and reed and i think she's you know she's a great actress i mean she's been i think she first started acting uh professionally in um the late 1950s um and she's been acting consist you know uh you know consistently ever since and she's been in fantastic dramas and comedy series and you know, and Doctor Who, uh, and I, I really, really love her performance in this episode. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's captivating. It's it's interesting. I just love her performance. Well, so do I. But I thought maybe a different approach would have been, would have been better because, with my perception of who was the threat in this episode, I find I found it difficult where to align <laughs> that, um, because the Jadun were, um, partially the main threat. She was a threat to some individuals, I guess, uh, and of course, well, there was a um, whole scene with the um, the scanning thing, <laughs> the, the MRI, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the <laughs> scanning thing. Yes, um, but yeah, I didn't know where to align the level of threat, and I thought a better approach might have been the hunting down hmm. a prisoner. Who is the prisoner? <laughs> And there's a whole mystery about who is it. Oh yeah, actually, that's yeah, that would have been good because you would have actually got a, a much more atmospheric, um, mysterious yeah. story. Yeah, I think that probably yeah, it'd be like it'd be like John Cotton does the thing with space oh. rainbows. <gasps> yes, oh, that sounds so much better. Why wasn't that episode made? That's really good, Rob. Oh yes, we, yeah, yeah. That that's the thing that that's what that's the thing we're crying out for. That oh, you've come up with the Doctor Who idea that I didn't realize that we needed. John Cobbett is the thing with space rhinos in it. And Kurt Russell. We need Kurt Russell. Yeah. Oh, imagine if he'd be in Doctor Who. That would be As the talk. Doctor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, but yes, he's in that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah. Oh, I really, want, I really want this thing to happen now. Right. People need to make Smith and Jones, uh, but completely different. Well, the... the... It needs to have an American re- reboot when the BBC collapses. Yes, which it will. And <laughs> um, HBO Max can pick it up. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they can also kind of merge it with like DC. I don't know. One, one thing at a time. But yeah. Oh, actually, uh, do I want Aquaman and Doctor Who? Would that work? I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, Michael Keaton, bring him in. Yeah! Um, and, uh, uh, you know... I, and then Kurt Russell's doctor could mess up the timeline and bring back um, Jack Nicholson's Joker. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think uh, Jack Nicholson sadly retired, but this all sounds better. It does, than doesn't it? Jones. Yeah, 
Get Jack Nicholson. Yeah, and then it was just like Doctor Who got Jack Nicholson back in acting, and you know, it's it, oh, we all love that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Why did I pick this episode? Um. um would... Oh, there was a mention earlier. Martha was talking to the Doctor when he's in the hospital bed. Um, you know, she'd seen him earlier on in the day. So she says, "Do you have a brother?" And he replies, "No, not anymore." Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, uh, and I, uh, I think that's a, is this the only time that we've suggested that the Doctor has a brother? Um, it's been more than suggested in expanded media, but um, with regard to the TV show, I feel like there may be another time, you know. Not earlier than Smith and Jones. No, um, just maybe in yeah. the new era. There may be another time when it's been referenced. Mm-hmm. Huh. I don't know. Possibly. <laughs> but you know what? He couldn't have had a biological brother because he's not Gallifrey. <laughs> oh, for freak's sake. Right, yes, anyway. Um, so um, so the, the, there are one or two scenes that uh, I quite like. One of them that we've already talked about, which is when... Uh, the Doctor and Martha have been on the balcony and, and having that conversation. Um, one of them mm-hmm. is actually, this is when we're nearing the end of the the episode. So we've established, so Anne Reed, uh, her character has managed to hide from the Jadoon because she um, assimilated the blood of Mr. Stoker. So biologically she appears human. So... Um, so the doctor has to sort of make her reveal herself. Um, and I like that whole scene because he, he slowly walks into the, the room where the, the scanny thing is also known as MRI. Um, uh, and she's sort of, yeah, technical technical jargon jargon people, uh, we're scientists, can't you tell? Uh, and she's, uh, she's mucking about with the scanny thing and making it do, uh, uh, electronic-y stuff. Um, so, because the idea is that she needs to escape, and she, w- um, I've forgotten the the scale of it, but basically it means apart from herself, it will eradicate everything within a a huge radius, which will include the side of the Earth facing the moon. So earth. that's sort of yeah. like the jeopardy of the episode now, which the Doctor has to stop. But the reason why I like all this scene is because the the doctor's sort of like watching what's going on before then he announces that he's in the room and he's pretending to be an idiot. Um you know, just this you know, just going, Oh, the space rhino's out there, it's absolutely ridiculous you know, and all the rest of it. And, and she, she falls, falls for it, it yeah. and it's great. And I love how both the both the actors play the scene out. Uh and it's the doctor, you know, being heroic, he's put himself in jeopardy. She uh, drinks and assimilates his blood thinking that he's human but obviously he's not so then later on when the Jadoon scan her for a second time it comes up that she's alien and yeah. finally it's revealed they, that's who they were looking for yeah but you're right I do love that she kind of indulges herself in the whole conversation with him and just like oh yeah so yeah, yeah and you know I do, I do like all that in fact actually because Later on, when she's t- when she was approaching Mister Stoker and saying, that, "You know, I'm going to be drinking all your blood," to just going, you know, um, a consultant with all that, uh, all, drinking all those, um, you know, vintage wines, and you know, she's sort of like kind of celebrating at <laughs> all of it. I just love how she plays that scene, and it's it's great. And again, it goes into think because 
um, even though I picked this episode, and it's just going, yeah, there are things wrong with it. My God, are there things wrong with it. It's not the best episode of Doctor Who, but it's still enjoyable. But really, at the heart of it, I think the thing that makes it work is it's Anne Reed and her entire performance. I absolutely love it. Um, yeah. It's a shame she's killed. <clears throat> Maybe it would have been better had she been taken into custody. Cust- 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 custody? What am I saying? Um, <laughs> taken away. <laughs> And then um, with the promise of a return, but you never return. You know, like oh, <laughs> one day. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, well, imagine if there was a a, a a season arc with her as the villain. I'd you know I would watch that. I just think it would be uh, I just think it'd be amazing. Um, but there's still the threat because the the MRI scanner is still playing up, and then the, the doctor's got uh, he he needs to resolve that, which obviously he's able to do. But then the whole. But then all the oxygen is is running out, and and people are you know slowly suffocating. But of course, the Jadoon plonk uh, the hospital back down to earth just in the nick of time, so that's fine. I've got one question though: Why did the Doctor bother carrying Martha out, or was that to take her to the window just you know because uh, to get oxygen quicker? It just yeah, maybe just get, yeah. Get some I don't know. Out. It was just it just well, which makes sense. But whilst watching it, it just seemed a bit pointless. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that was the point. Yeah, just more or maybe just to look heroic. Yeah, I think look heroic. But then it was just like, well, w- w- why didn't you stick her on the balcony then? It's out in the open, and she's getting older. I don't know. It, I just it just looked a bit sort of like pointlessly heroic. Yeah. Um, and she gives him the whole her last breath, which is a good scene. But then we we'll also we we'll also have the oxygen mm-hmm. tanks just depleting. And uh, that's not quite how oxygen in a work room in a room works. But <laughs> shh, Rob, yeah. shh. it's a it's a quick lazy visual yes. thing to show you that the oxygen's running out. <laughs> but yes, totally. I did think that was uh, that crossed my mind as well. Which is, uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit obvious and lazy, but you know it is what it is. Yeah. Fine. It works. And she goes and gives a mouth to mouth, and there's this this whole vibe that uh, well, uh, he kisses her for a reason earlier. Um, mm-hmm. So there's this whole thing that. Um, yeah, she kind of fancies him to, mm-hmm. to some extent, which was never quite definite with Rose, was it? Mm. Um, so again, uh, kind of a different dynamic. Um, yeah, and but it, we also have the opposite here because um, the Doctor clearly had an affinity for Rose. He um, quite verbally. Um, distances himself from Martha, saying, "You know, you're not here to replace her," and, and mm-hmm. it's it's almost like Rose has kind of stood there as a barrier. So he's got the Doctor's got kind of got a wall up, um, yeah, and he's um, he can't like kind of reciprocate Martha's feelings, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things again, because uh, as I've said in a previous podcast, uh, David Tennant's Doctor's probably my least favorite that isn't to say that i don't like you know watching um you know dividend stories and that's not to say that i don't like him as an actor i think he played the part well but well the reason why he's my least favorite doctor there's there's something really smug and off-putting about his doctor and i think this episode actually showcases it uh, in, in one particular way which is, you know, the, uh, the whole situation has resolved itself. Martha's with the family. We have, um, you know, th- she's at the 21st, uh, her birthday, uh, her 
brother's 21st birthday celebrations and then the family have all had like massive arguments and storming off and all the rest of it and it's a it's a, I don't think it's a particularly great scene but you know and then uh, Martha's just again you know keeping her head cool and just going I'm not bothered about the way such and such is behaving whatever and then she she looks over and there's the doctor standing on a uh, on the corner of a of a of a back lane hmm. with a face that you just want to punch uh, what was it just me just looking really just looking really smug and up himself smug and kid. then yeah yeah oh, oh, just, oh, it's just like, it just really freaking infuriates me just that look uh and then go you know and then just sort of go goes into the the back lane and then martha follows and you know she's very trusting because at the end of the day she still doesn't know anything about this bloke no. and then they do the whole scene about you know um being on the inside is it you know yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I, I gotta say I did, I did like that bit and that interaction the way David Tennant plays that scene that's fine it's just the smug look he did earlier it was just oh infuriating um, so that all seems really good until the moment when because I just feel it's just hammering at home just a little bit too much we get it that there's that whole barrier between as, as you said between the Doctor and, and Martha because of that you know he's still hurting and missing Rose um, which is odd because the Doctor always moves on but in this case he doesn't yeah and you know it had been addressed in the Runaway Bride it's being addressed here fine I haven't got a problem with that what I do have a problem with though is that when subtlety sort of thrown out the window we got it up until this point and then the Doctor's going you know basically wagging his finger in front of Martha's face going but you're not replacing her and it's just one trip and so, it just where came the hell's to that? she has to like swallow up right and yeah, it's just, where the hell did that come this, from? You know? Yeah, and it's just like, oh, the Doctor doth protest too much. Mm. Um, so I didn't like that aspect of the scene. Um, I thought that was a bit sort of heavy, heavy-handed in the writing, but um, uh, and especially because I don't think it gels particularly well because the way that the the way that the scene was written and performed up until that point f- was really good. Then this just seems to come completely out of nowhere. Then the Doctor releases the handbrake and we've got, you know, nice references to the um, the helmet regulator and all the rest of it, which we heard from the Tom Baker story, The Ark in Space. Um, so, you know, just technical jargon for fans to pick up on, which I thought was quite nice. Um, uh, but anyway, he's done that whole, you know, and you're not replacing her and all that. And it's just like, where's that come from? It doesn't seem to... Fl- the scene... To- the scene- seems a bit jarring now because of that. And then seem to promptly forget all that when the TARDIS dematerializes, everything's sort of like rocking a, rocking about. They've been thrown onto the console and just nice to meet you, uh, Miss Jones, and the shaking hands and then the episode closes. Um, all that was, that was fine, but it was just that, that whole thing of, you know, you're not replacing her. I just think it was a bit hammering at home a bit too much. It seemed to come completely out of nowhere and destroy the flow of the scene a bit. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I see where you're coming from there. Um, but that doesn't kind of resonate too much with this series, does it? No. Um, obviously, it's something Martha doesn't forget. You know, she kind of has to dig at him for taking her to the same kind of place as he took Rose. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, in the in Utopia... Um, Jack's kind of talking about Rose a bit, and she's like, "Oh, she was blonde." So she, you know, she she just kind of <laughs> she just see her as like the other woman that was there. <laughs> Have you 
you seen? There are these things. These bloody space rhino things. I mean, rhinos from space. And we're on the moon. Grabbing space rhinos with guns on the moon. I don't give it for my bunions, look. I mean, it's fix now, perfectly good treatment. The nurses were lovely. I said to my wife, I said I'd recommend this place to anyone, but then we end up on the moon. And then I mentioned the rhinos. Hold him. Um, that, that big, um, machine thing, is it supposed to be making that noise? You wouldn't understand. But isn't that a, a magnetic resonance imaging thing? Like a, a ginormous sort of a magnet? I did magnetics GTSE. Well, I failed, but all the same. A magnet with its setting now increased to 50,000 Tesla. Ooh, that's a bit strong, isn't it? It'll send out a magnetic pulse that'll fry the brain stems of every living thing within 250,000 miles. Except for me, safe in this room. But, um, hold on, hold on. I did, I did geography GCSE. I passed that one. Doesn't that distance include the Earth? Only the side facing the moon. The other half will survive. Call it my little gift. Sorry, enough to excuse me. I'm a little bit out of depth. I spent the past 15 years working as a postman, hence the bunion. Why would you do that? With everyone dead, the Jadoon ships will be mine to make my escape. No, that's weird. You're talking like you're some sort of an alien. Quite so. No. Oh, yes. You're joshing me. I am not. I'm talking to an alien. In hospital. What's this place got an ET department? It's a perfect hiding place. Blood banks downstairs for a midnight feast and all this equipment ready to arm myself with should the police come looking. So those rhinos, they're looking for you? Yes. But I'm hidden. Right. Maybe that's why they're increasing their scans. They're doing what? Mm, uh, Big Chief Rhino Boy said, uh, no sign of a non-human, we must increase our scans up to setting two. Then I must assimilate again. What does that mean? I must appear to be human. Well, you're welcome to come home and meet the wife. She'd be honoured. We can have cake. Why should I have cake? I've got my little straw. Oh, that's nice. Milkshake? Uh, I like banana. Mm, you're quite the funny man. And yet, I think, laughing on purpose at the darkness. I think it's time you found some peace. Steady him. Oh. What are you doing? I'm afraid this is going to hurt. But if it's any consolation, the dead don't tend to remember. So I think we've pretty much covered everything in, in the story. I think so. There wasn't a lot to cover that we uncovered. No, no. And um, So at this point, we would usually go to listeners' responses. But again, we seem to be following a pattern that episodes that I'm picking or stories that I'm picking don't seem to resonate with the listeners. We have no, no responses. Oh, we have one. Oh, do we? Oh, okay. We have one, yes. Um, okay. Um, Safe Space Who on Twitter, which is safe space for all Whovians, um, just for Whovian tweets and a lot of uh, fan of all eras. Yeah, it's like an appreciation account for the show. Um, space for Who said, Oh, I remember really enjoying it as a child. Grown up with Doctor Who every Saturday as a child was fab. Loved Martha straight from the let go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very kind of personal point there um, from the perspective of someone who grew grew up with the show, which is not our sp- perspective necessarily. So yeah, no, no. I, um, <laughs> thank you very much for getting in contact. That, that's great. And yeah, that's one thing that I will definitely say is that I think Martha. One, I, I really like the character of Martha. Uh, I think very underrated, and that's one strength of the episode. You, you her in, 
the in many respects the way that she's introduced into the show through this episode in terms of how she's written and certainly the way that she's performed hits the ground running you get pretty much the the you know the 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 very basics of the character presented very well and you know what she's about and so on um so i do like that an awful lot and i think we've ridiculed (laughs) suddenly ridiculed the episode because i don't but there are things in here which i do enjoy I mean, Anne Reed, as I said before, I think is is a, is a particular highlight for me. I think her performance is great. There are scenes in here which uh, I stand out and I really, really enjoy. I just think, for the type of story it is, I mean, we've said that you know, it, you know, it could have been done in a different way where it could have been much more atmospheric and so on. But in terms of how the episode is, I just think it could have been directed a little bit um, sharper. And, and do you think it has much of a rewatch factor to it? Uh, uh, hang on, before and then for the love of God, get extras which can perform. I mean, jeez. Anyway, um, yeah, I do think it's got a. Sorry, did you ask how entertainment value? Re- uh, a rewatch factor. Rewatch factor. Can, can, you, can you revisit it often or not necessarily? I wouldn't say often, but you know, I would certainly mm. happily rewatch it at some point. You'd stick it on. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's uh, <laughs> sort of like a bit of uh, simple entertainment. You know. It's got the Jadoon. Simple entertainment. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 not it's. I mean, it's it's not complicated. It's a very simple story told, okay-ish. <laughs> the story with the scanny thingy. With the scanny thingy. Yeah. Um, we did a poll. Liam, did you see that? No, I'm afraid not. Um, no. We asked, um, "How would you rate Smith and Jones? Good or bad?" Right. Okay. Okay. Do you want to hazard a guess? Um, is it roughly 50-50? No, not quite, I'm afraid. Is, is, have more people said it's bad? No, 100% good. Really? How many people responded? Um, eight. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, eight Still people... Still a result. Yeah, eight people think it's fantastic. Okay, that's good. Um... Yeah, you are. I think yeah. I mean, if if it was just going, if you think it's good or bad, I think it's you know, I think I'd probably say yeah, it's it's good, but then it's, it's I mean it's not perfect. But I mean, I mean, what would you say? Um, it's not perfect. Did you do no? Very entertaining, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say if only they'd been utilized better, but they've they've had the chance an occasion. To, to be used again mm-hmm. and most in most cases just in a minor way though um it doesn't quite do Martha's character justice the whole series um as a whole would mm-hmm. uh yeah i think are we coming close to a rating is that what you're kind of wondering yeah yeah so in terms of a score what would you give it uh, this sounds really unfair but uh have to rate it a six no no I think that's fine I mean that's certainly the same score that I've given it but funnily enough um, because going back to Boomtown I think I gave Boomtown a six out of ten so I've given them the what was I on that week I give it a ten out of ten I stand by that no no you you still so because you know we both agreed that uh, Boomtown was still a very enjoyable uh, episode with an awful lot going on but at the end of it I've given Smith and Jones the same ranking but it's but if I was given a, if I was given a, a clear choice, right, Liam? Are you going to watch? Do you want to watch Boomtown or do you want to watch Smith and Jones? I would go mm, Boomtown. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, Smith and Jones is a, a bit of a funny one. It's sort of interesting that, as I said, because even when I watched it originally back in two thousand seven, I didn't think it was you know the, the best episode ever. Um, but for some reason, in terms of new Doctor Who, this was the episode that clicked with me and going, you know what, uh, I sort of, you know, I'm suddenly fine with with it. It's a bit sort of odd. Um, I think it's. I think it's fine as a bit of sort of. I don't want to say mindless, but it's the only mindless, mindless, en- simple entertainment. Mindless, simple entertainment. Yeah, uh, you know, it's fine. It's it's enjoyable. It is what it is. It's um, yeah, it's you know, yeah. it's fine. So that's it for Smith and Jones. So in terms of just social media, please get in contact with us at Podcast Bell. We're also on Instagram at Cloister underscore Bell. Uh, we've got our own podcast uh, podcast website, cloisterbellpodcast.com. Uh, please get in contact with your thoughts, anything Doctor Who related or or anything to do with our ramblings, DC related, yeah. whatever it is. Um, so that's it in terms of Smith and Jones. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Rob, this is a surprise for me uh, as well as what it's going to be for the listeners. What are we going to be looking at next? Well, I've decided to go for an episode from Series 5 and that'll be the first series from Matt Smith's 11th Doctor. And I've went with Victory of the Daleks. 